Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 18 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge, first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. It's point of view week, and we're talking about all the possible points of views um, and the pros and cons of using certain choices. Today, we're going to talk about two very unusual points of views, which I think is very fun. We're going to talk about the second person and the royal we, and we're also going to um, help define that too. So we've got Allison Amond. Um, a Chicago native and a diehard Cubs fan. Allison is properly in her pajamas, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, she graduated from Stanford University in the Iowa Writers' Workshop. She is the author of the IPPY award-winning short story collection, Things That Pass for Love, and the novels A Nearly Perfect Copy and Stations West, which was a finalist for the 2011 Sammy Rohr Prize for Jewish Literature and the Oklahoma Book Award. Her most recent book, Enchanted Islands, was on the long list for the International Dublin Award. Allison teaches creative writing at Lehman College in the Bronx, New York. David Abrams is, you can see from his sweatshirt, and not if you're listening to the podcast, but he's hes calling in from Montana, folks. So this is really early for David. Um, he's the author of two novels, Brave Deeds and Fobbit, a comedy about the Iraq war that Publishers Weekly called an instant classic. It was also a New York Times notable book of 2012, an Indie Next pick, a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers selection, and a finalist for the LA Times Art Siedenbaum uh, Award for First Fiction. I knew I was good. Uh, David had also been a manuscript, has also been a manuscript consultant for Grub Street for the past four years. He lives in Helena, Montana with his wife and their many cats. And if you are a Facebook friend of David's, you get to see his cats, which has been my favorite thing this whole fall. Okay, so we're going to talk about second person, then we're going to talk about Royal We, and um, and hopefully we'll have time for both. So David, the second person. So first off, what is it? Why do people not use the second person that often? Why do you like the second person? Ooh, I don't, I don't know if I like. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I, it's, 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 okay, so second person. We're here. We're talking about where the author um, addresses uh, addresses the reader as you. You know, uh, puts it puts it into the you. Um, so the, the most famous example, and I can just read a couple lines, is "Bright Lights, Big City" from Jay McInerney. Um, and it opens up. Um, you are not the kind of guy who will be at a place like this at this time in the morning, but here you are. And you cannot say blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it's the constant you, you, you. Um, so the author then is is directing um, the reader to become a character. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's it's a more inclusive, to me, it's a second person is a little bit more inclusive point of view. Um, because like I said, the author is, is asking uh, the reader to slip on a skin uh, of whatever this persona, this, this character he's created or, or the author has created. Um, so, so one, we'll, we'll talk about the, we can, Allison can chime in on the joys and the joys of the second person, but one pitfall that I thought about, um, as I was, uh, writing some notes last night is that you run, that you run the risk of, of, that you run the risk of reader estrangement rather than reader engagement. Um, because when you're saying you, you're kind of holding, holding the reader at a distance or, or holding that character a little bit at a distance um, because the reader may not identify with the you that you, the author, you, the author are, are suddenly asking them to become. Um, yeah, for instance, they don't want to be that guy. They don't yeah, want to be so, that guy. So for instance, if I, if I, uh, if I were to read or write a, read a line saying um, 
you climb a tall ladder to the top of the to the top of the room you take a deep breath and then you slide your slippered foot out onto the tightrope well for if i read that it's like oh my god i'm afraid of heights so i yeah. i'm not identifying with a tightrope walker necessarily but it's a but it but at the same time if there's the reader is a little more flexible and more open then then that's something that um that the that um they're going to become they're going to slip into that character a little bit better, I think. Yeah. And I've also had, I've had students that were working very in very classic, like auto fiction stories and novels, <clears throat> students that had gone under a great deal of trauma and they wanted to use the you. And it was really a way for them to push the story away from them. So it helped them get the writing done, but then it also pushed the reader away. Um, so it so it can have that problem. Allison, how about you? How have you been, have you tried the second person? Do you like the second person? Yeah, you know, I haven't written extensively in second person, but a couple of things that I wanted to add to the conversation, which is, um, first of all, that I feel like uh, second person has a little bit of a, of a branding problem, the way spatulas have a branding problem. Like spatulas are both the flippy and the scrapey, right? And those should be two different kitchen tools. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, you know, the, Second person that David was talking about is, you know, the, they usually call it second person direct address where you're addressing the reader as a character. But there's also the sort of second person, which is actually first person, where the, the narrator is actually addressing a, a separate character from the form of a letter or for the form of like, think, I never told you this, my dead sister. Right. Um, so I think that that those are are sort of different ways in which the second person is used. And then there's also this like sort of little thing where um, people use you you in the sense of like um, a person, one can, right? Like, you know, yeah. uh, which kind of sneaks into writing, which I think doesn't count as second person, even though it is actually using you. But my students sometimes get confused by these three instances of it. So I thought it was worth clarifying. Um, I've increasingly seen the second person used in, I use um, the Catapult uh, Pan American debut fiction anthology most years to teach. Um, and I see like a very disproportionate amount of stories, a uh, number of stories that are written second person. And I have a, sort of a theory about it, yeah. which is that these are um, often stories written by people and about people that we have not seen traditionally in publishing. Yeah. And I wonder if it is a way to simultaneously bring an imagined reader who doesn't necessarily have those same life experiences closer to the experiences of the author, narrator, character. Um, and I have found those stories very successful. And my students um, who are also, you know, on by and large from a marginalized population also find that very um, comforting to be placed into the story with those people. So I don't know, that's a, that's a theory that has no data behind it, but. No, I saw that too when I was teaching. I yeah. had a, a student, a non-binary student, and they had also undergone um, a lot of um, trauma with a, um, uh, a, a twin sister who had died. Um, and, and so this person really, she, this person, they really wanted us to be in the persona that they were writing about. Um, and, um, and, and, and there were stories that they wrote that, that were fantastic and that kind of forced the reader into that place um, in a way that we, would, we are forced to have kind of empathy and to walk the walk. Um, and then other kinds, it was more distancing, but, but, but yeah, it can be really powerful. Um, it works best when the, when the character is, um, has a sort of less agency 
because yeah. then you're not making, like David said, you're not making the reader walk onto a tightrope. You're making the reader be buffeted by the same forces that the powerless character is. Yes, um, excellent. So in that case, I mean, is the second person, is it harder to deal with? Is it easier to deal with with a shorter piece, like a short piece of fiction or um, like some, a form of, of creative nonfiction? Or can you really use it for a novel length book? David, what do you think? Well, I, I think, I mean, obviously, obviously this is proof that you can sustain right. over, but it does, it is, as you see, very short, short like a 180 pages or so in my copy, but, um, but yeah, and, and then of course, traditionally you've heard editors say, don't do this, you know, it's, it's poison in the marketplace of uh, a second person in, uh, for a full length, but, but I do think, I think that, um, and as I think back and I can't think of specific examples, but I know that there are. That, the, that there are short stories that just really- Lori Moore is the famous one, right? Yeah, yeah. Lori Moore. Yeah, and I, I want to say Grace Paley did one, but I maybe I'm wrong. I'm just- yeah, you know. um, uh, Jennifer Egan, Visit from the Goon Squad, one of the stories is second person, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, that's, that might be what I'm, I'm thinking of. So it is it is possible to sustain it over a book length um, manuscript, but um, I think it just really punches neatly and, and nicely um, in, a, in a short story. Yeah. Allison, what do you think? Is it harder to handle over longer work? Yes, absolutely. I think it, I think it gets kind of tiresome too. If it can be, um, you know, I think I think that the example you brought up, Bright Lights, Big City, I think works in some ways because the character is so outrageous that we are never going to identify with him. So there's that sort of dramatic irony between, like, there's a smirk from the from the author that like you're not this guy, like. Right, um, and I think I just uh, read with my class um, N.K. Jameson's *The Fifth Season*, which is a, a Hugo Award-winning uh, fantasy book series, which I really like. Um, I'm not a big reader of, of fantasy, um, but this one is is a good one. But um, one of the three protagonists is written in the second person, and that works because that protagonist is, without giving any plot points away, um, dealing with issues of identity and hiding who she is, and so bringing that sensation of who are you onto the reader fits well with the theme. So I think then it can work really well if there's a reason in the book to use a second person. Yeah. And, and just I, to go, I, yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah. I do make one other quick point, um, just stylistic and stylistically and linguistically, um, the, the, if you're just going to repeat you all the time, that, that constant repetition of the pronoun you on the page, um, you don't have any variance with a character name or anything like that. So um, just, just, just that's that's something to bear in mind as a writer. You know, you're always going to have that you, you, you. And um, you know, if you look at Bright Lights, Big City, there's 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 instances where he's able to, you know, shift the focus away from the you persona onto the other characters, of course. But um, just that constant drumbeat of that word, you, 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 you can be too much, yeah. So, and just to go back to one example that Allison was talking about, when you actually have a first person narrator that's addressing somebody else, and that's, and that's it's using the second person in a way, but it's also using the advantages of the first person. So I always think of Mavis Gallant's um, short story, Mademoiselle Diaz de Corta. Um, and in that she has an elderly woman that's a complete shut in and sh she's an eye, she's a first person voice and she's speaking to a young woman that had lived with her for a short while um, and, and kind of calling to this young woman to come home or come back. 
Um, and so it's at that interesting use of I and you, because she's speaking directly to someone. The story is just directly to someone. I did something of the same in my first novel. And I think that can be really interesting that you feel that the story is being not necessarily directed to, to you, uh, but to someone very particular, that the person speaking to someone in very particular. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think in a novel, if you said if you move from first person or third person, probably from first person, and then you suddenly have a chapter in you, it can be really interesting because it can be a moment in which the narrator is distancing themselves from the um, experience at hand and can no longer um, retain a possession of the experience in that moment. And so that can be a really effective move if you just want to kind of play with it a little bit in the novel form. Yeah. Um, let's, and we can get more questions. We can bounce between these. Royal we. David, what is the royal we? Well, what is the royal? Well, let me just give an, a quick example of, well, actually not quick, long example of, of my novel. Uh, my novel was Brave Deeds. This is my second novel. And this is written in the royal we voice. So it starts off, um, so, so my novel, um, this novel is about, it starts off with a group of, of six, soldier, six soldiers um, and their platoon sergeant, their boss, their leader has been killed off camera before the book starts. Um, he's been killed in, an, in, a, um, in a bomb attack. So the, the whole nexus of the book is these six soldiers are going to walk across there. They, they, they go in, they, they, go, they go and steal a Humvee uh, vehicle illegally um, and they decide to go across Baghdad to this to this sergeant's memorial service. So it's a it's a road trip. It's a short road trip across the city for a funeral, right? Um, and it's told in the in the voice of of this squad of soldiers, one of the smallest breakdown units of that the army. There's a team of soldiers. There's the platoon, and then um, there's the squads. Um, or um, and so it's a smaller unit, and they're all. I wrote it all as the collective we, we as we as the squad. There are no identifiable people who address the the audience, except now. And I'm we we can talk a little more about the royal we. But then I want to mention also that I did include a, a very brief second person point of view um, in chapter fifty. Um, we find I finally after this whole long near, near the, emo, the near the end of the emotional arc we've we followed these characters across um, in their quest to go to this funeral um, and we're learning a little bit about their dead platoon sergeant along the way and then finally I I decided to show the scene of death of this of this guy who died uh, without giving anything away because you know at the beginning of the book he dies right so it's no spoiler um, and. And so um, I decided to switch into, sorry, here's my cat. <laughs> she goes. So I, I decided to switch into the, into the second person point of view. And I said, you know, you are on patrol. Um, it's a flashback. You are on patrol. You are in this hot, dusty place. Um, you see this car coming, you know, and, and you're working with. So I, I'm addressing the reader as I'm making the reader that platoon sergeant, that character. Right. Excellent. Um, and so notice, I think it's it's most successful when you have a large cast um, and, and you're really having to do and also a large cast that might be um, bound together in a particular. Um, they could be acting as a chorus that is judging other people or they could be bound together in a certain mission uh, the way you wrote for. So that was I think that's 
that's really probably useful, almost the only choice you could have used for that. Allison, what's your experience with the royal we? Yeah, first of all, I'm, I'm apparently very interested in branding today because um, I'm not a fan of that term. Um, ah, fine. Um, okay, what term should we use? Um, I just, I mean, I just use like first person plural, which is kind okay. of, um, but the, re- the reason I'm not a fan of it is because it, um, and I understand like why we, why we call it that. It's right? snobby. Like, it's snobby. Right. right. <laughs> it, but it does have that sort of, that has that like the whiff of colonialism, um, but also um, that it makes it seem like it's one person referring to themselves as a group when the, the, you know, when the point is that it's actually the opposite. It's the group referring to itself as one person. Um, and I think, and apparently I'm big on definitions today because um, I think the um, the kind of narrative that David's talking about is what we most associate. Well, not, I don't know if we most associate it, but I'm thinking of um, the book that we came to the end, uh, Josh Ferris, right? Is that right? Well right where it is, a, it is a chorus of people who work in this office. However, each person gets their own sort of starring chapter um, in some ways and in, in ways in which then the, the chorus of we knows more about these people than any particular individual in that group would know, yeah. um, which is kind of a really interesting and, and sophisticated narrative technique. And I'm trying to rewrite a book now using the we as a character um, to not great success. Um, <laughs> um, that might <laughs> Why? Not be Why to not great far. success? What's happening? Um, so I've been trying to, um, yeah, so I'm looking at the chat. So Patricia, yeah, so we is actually first person plural, right? So it's actually the I in the plural. So it's first person plural is the official grammatic term for it. Um, yeah, I think I'm trying to, um, I'm having like a, a, t- a community within a town investigate a character who is has committed a, a hate crime against that community. So it's a group of Jews in Oklahoma who are investigating, not investigating in a criminal sense, investigating in like, how is this possible sense? of where did this, um, this racist person come from in our town. Um, and I think one of the problems I'm having is that there's no character there to do actions. Right, mm. right, yeah. Have you um, read Andrea Barrett's The Air We Breathe? No. Which is also, it's about um, a group of, of people that live in a, they've been sent away, they all have tuberculosis. I can't remember the year, I think it's during World War I. Um, and they're all kind of sitting around closed off in this, this home because they've been separated from the world. Yeah. Um, and, they, and, and a newcomer comes in. Um, and I actually think he's a, he's a Jewish man. So they, they have a big problems with him. You have that judgment of the group of this newcomer coming in and then things just all go awry, but, but it's, it's, it's great using that kind of Greek chorus kind of sense, but then we do get the kind of individual actions as well, because you kind of have to do that. You can't just have the plural we as a, almost a replacement for the, the God voice or the author voice, because that gives you no character to work with. Right. And David yeah. solved that problem really well, because you have, it's a group doing an action. They're on a road trip to do a thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Was the yeah, things and, you carried? Was the things you carried? It makes me think of that. Was that no? First person actually, uh, yeah. Not the short story, anyway. Is the short story is is uh, is omniscient third? Right. I'm, and I'm trying to think. I should know that collection. I should know if there's other. I think there are shifts of points of view. Um, yeah. You know, the version suicides is the. I mean, it's not a short story yes. collection, but that's um, right. That's the most famous contemporary example of the Wii. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Though I do really recommend The Air We Breathe because I thought it was an absolutely beautiful novel. I wrote it down. 
Yes. And, maybe I, it'll and then I'm going to lose that piece of paper. But until I lose that piece of paper, it is written down. <laughs> well, then you can email me again and I can remind you. Um, so we have a question for Patricia. And I think Patricia is more awake than any of us because I think she's in uh, London. So if I'm writing an epistolary novel in letters and journal entries between two people, are the journal entries in first and the letters in second? I think they're both in first. That's all in first. Yeah. It's all yeah. in first, but with a unique, uh, with a unique form. Right. So you'll have a first person speaking, acting, thinking that point of view perspective, and they're just writing to that second person. But yeah. I wouldn't stress too much about like, however Patricia wants to think about it. Like it, I don't, so in some ways these labels are, we want to put them on after the fact to describe what we've done rather than have them be restrictive ways in which we write. Yeah. yeah. Music exists before you put down the notes on the page. Yes. Ooh, I like that. Thanks. Um, Catherine also says, um, it sounds like she's working in a novel. What do you think of using second or now I've made the mistake. I think I use the Royal we when I like write, uh, you know, emails to fancy authors to come on the show because I'm like, oh, then it makes me look more important. <laughs> so it can't be helpful there. Um, so the second or the, or the multiple point of view in memoir, David, do you, what do you think yeah. of that? Well, I mean, and it's funny, I'm, I'm working on a memoir right now. I'm not using second person, but yeah, but that, that would, but that going back to what we said earlier, um, that would be, that would be you, the author, um, asking or encouraging your reader to become you in, in the case of a memoir, if you're gonna slip into, if you're gonna be telling the, the reader, you know, you did this, meaning me, the, the, memoir, the memoirist, then, um, then that'll be, that would be interesting. Yeah, having a, a direct address to, to someone else of your own life or experiences. And Allison, what do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I think I think again, like what what uh, you know, David was saying earlier, the repetition of the you um, can be off-putting. And also, if you're asking the reader to do something or to um, identify with something that they wouldn't otherwise do, it can be um, it brings out the like defiant, like anti-authoritarian in me, which is like I wouldn't do that, you know. Um, but I think it can be powerful in short spurts to really immerse the reader into that experience, especially if it's an experience they they are unlikely to have had. Yeah. So Christine in the Q&A, she says, is it possible? And I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but but to reiterate the fact, um, is it possible to use the you to push the reader to think about the action of the narrator or character and the validity of reasoning many times throughout the novel? So uh, maybe she's even talking about, I'm not sure if Christine's talking about, again, like some, some times moving into the you. Um, does it help us push the reader to kind of think about them to, to be forced to confront that particular character. I think it does, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that's exactly what we've been saying. You know, it's like, you know, I, I have to think. Oh, we lost, we lost David in Montana. Allison. And why do things always freeze right when someone's about to like drop some serious wisdom, right? They're like, <laughs> the most important thing you're ever gonna learn about writing is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, my, my foot. Is... Well, he's in Are you back, David? My back. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. I had such great validity. I had such you great did. That was brilliant. No, <laughs> I know. I was just going to say it, it's a very, very close, um, you know, like I said, you know, you, you are asking the reader to identify with this character in the you address. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the rules apply as, as they do to everything in fiction, which is like, you can't do that unless you can and pull it off. And then you did yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So I think all these things are worth trying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Nat in the chat says adding Abby Jenny's, um, I hope I'm saying that right. Short story, the girls of Apache Bryn Mawr, um, which is included in her collection. Um, the last animal is a great use of the second person plural. Um, well, the second oh. person plural. Yeah, so the That's y'all. A combo we haven't talked about. Y'all. Um, so I do think allow yourself to explore, particularly if you're early on in a project, allow yourself to explore, read as widely as possible, um, just to kind of pick up tools and ideas from other authors, see what's been done, see what works, see what you think doesn't work. That can be the most helpful. Um, I think David touched upon this, the idea of the market. So if you're trying to work in second person or uh, the plural first, are you going to have some problems with agents, editors, and God, do you even want to think about that, David? I mean, you know, it's just like everything else, you know, and as far as when we're talking about marketplace, it's a, it's a, it's a bias that has come, you know, over, over the years for, for good reasons or bad reasons. I mean, I, I don't want to despair. I certainly don't want to disparage agents and all of those who work in the industry. I mean, yeah. they are smart and they have an overall view, but, but um, I mean, something like bright lights, big city can come along and, and just break that bubble. You know, you can, you, you, I think you have to believe in, you, you have to believe in your work. And if, if it makes you feel, if it makes you come alive as a writer to try something different and experimental, you know, if you just want to write in second person for a little while, yeah, uh, just to, just as a test to see how it feels. That's kind of how I did with with um, with that collective first person in Brave Deeds. Um, I didn't I didn't intend to I didn't intend to to start writing this novel in that voice when I started. No idea at all. I had I had this idea for a uh, I had the idea for the story, but I didn't know how I was going to tell it. And then I started. It actually, it just kind of came organically, it flowed organically. I just wrote, wrote the first sentence, you know, we walk, we walk, we walk. Um, and that became the first sentence of the book, um, emphasis on the mid stride of, of the novel. But um, it just, it, it felt natural and it felt right to tell this novel in this voice. But, but it could have been told differently. I could have, I could have followed each character or had a chapter devoted to each character and just shifted points of view along the way. Yeah, um, and as Allison's um, mentioned, I did try to try to um, for one chapter each character, or we each chapter that each more coffee. What's way too early for you? Each character gets one chapter um, briefly, just to show a little bit of their backstory. But then I return to the to the um, to the collective first. So I think that's important. Follow what you're excited about. The time what gets the writing out. Yeah, Absolutely. Allison, what do you think? Always, yeah. I was going to say, you know, it's it's interesting because I think I think the the stakes are higher when you try something that is um, less often used. So, I mean, this is an imperfect analogy, but like I, I wanted to take a, an instrument when I was a kid and my father made me take piano instead of um, violin because if you hit the wrong notes on the piano, like, it, you know, it's not great, but it's fine. If you, if you screech the violin, like your fingernails fall off. Um, so I do think that there is a sort of a greater risk of you know, your fingernails falling off if you're using an unexpected point of view. There's a reason that first person and third person, close third are the most used points of view, which should never, ever stop you from learning the violin, right? right. The violin's a beautiful instrument. Like, 
I mean, not presumably not in my hands, but um, so I do think the rewards are great, but the risks are higher and it's, in, you know, it's important to acknowledge that. Right. Like I'm trying to learn Greek right now, which is an impossible language, but I'm using it. <laughs> I'm learning it. I mean, you just, you, you put certain obstacles up for yourself and you and like, do I have the energy for this? And yeah. is this, do I believe in it enough? Um, to just follow this. And, and sometimes it's necessary and you just, you just have to follow what is coming out. Um, we have some other great um, examples in the chat, Casey Lemon's memoir, Heavy, using the first person, but then also speaking of his mother in you. Um, and then The Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker and We Can Only Save Ourselves by Allison Wisdom, great examples of novels using the first person plural. Excellent. I'm going to let these guys go because I think we need to get everyone back to our writing desk. I know that both Allison and David have also been listening, which is exciting for me. Allison actually popped up in the chat yesterday. I was like, oh, there she is. So, I was so proud of myself for waking up on time. <laughs> we're all proud of ourselves waking, waking up on time. So let's get to our writing desk. Let's explore Follow the voice that is leading you that you're most excited about. Um, explore other options. See, see if something else might really light the fire and might work better for your particular project. Um, and, then, and then do research and, and just read and read and read. All right, everybody, get to Thank your Thank you so desk. much. This has been, this has been life-giving. Oh, Thank you so much. Have you found what you lost? Have you lost what you found? For a love in the sand Like a leaf inside the wind And you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There isn't nothing here 